This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Every week is different on this show. I feel like one week we're in Studio 2, then some weeks we're in Studio 3, and then some weeks we're just in Studio B on two microphones. Mm -hmm. It's funny how this works. And what's also funny about this kind of thing, guys, is I expect to come in and talk about Evander Kane and his attitude problems, and now it's going to be if he has enough jump shoots to get through Buffalo. (laughs) And with that, we welcome you in to 5 on 3. Hello, everybody. I'm Anthony Pusick, and this, of course, is WFUV's only NHL podcast, to my knowledge. The only one. I'm pretty sure that it's the only one. And, of course, I can't do it alone. Sitting to my left, both to my left, on the same microphone, are New York Islanders beat reporter Matt Morrow, who's had some rough times for this season. Oh, well, well, that's getting better. You know, it's all right. Rough times compared to earlier in the year. If you're, 500 right now is a rough spot for the Islanders. And you know what? 500 a couple years ago was a good spot. So, so much has changed. And, of course, we have New Jersey Devils beat reporter Brennan Bowers with what once was the hottest team in hockey in the 2015 calendar year. Yeah, not really any anymore. They're not really that hot. Uh, they haven't been hot since their first, what, three games this year. We were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> look at these devils. They might go all the way this year, but they went downhill since. And that's interesting, and that's what, of course, we're going to talk about much later. But we have to bring up, guys, this trade that occurred probably around 1 o'clock our time. Uh, Winnipeg time, 12, and Buffalo time. No, no, they, they, they're they at our time. Either yeah, way. Eastern. We were all talking about Evander Kane, and this whole story was just confusing to me because... It was clear that he didn't want to play in Winnipeg anymore. He'd show up to meetings in a jumpsuit. Dustin Bufflin and the rest of his teammates would throw it into the shower, cut his jumpsuit pants, and make him walk out in short shorts in all wet and soaked as a result of him basically showing zero respect to his teammates. Doesn't sound like a fun situation. So you no. think, you think okay, he's obviously going to get leave, kind of like how, we, how we've been hearing, you know, for personal reasons. This is what he's going to leave for. He's got some issues that he has to work out. But then you find out IR for shoulder surgery. Which is baffling in itself, because then if you couldn't play anyway, why would you even bother making a scene? And if you really wanted to get traded while you're injured, just say, listen, I want to get traded. And it seems like it didn't really matter all that much, because he is heading to Buffalo with teammate Zach Bogosian. In exchange, the Jets get Drew Stafford, Tyler Miles, Tyler Myers, Joel Armia, Brendan Lemieux, and Buffalo's last first-round pick. That means either the Islanders pick that they have or the Blues pick. Whoever finishes better this year will obviously have the lower pick. That pick from the Sabres will go to the Jets. Guys, I know that this is an interesting trade for a lot of reasons, mainly because Kane won't even play this year. I think that the Jets stole this. Uh, for now, it's, it seems so. Potentially, they stole it. Potentially, they did, because they're obviously already in a better position than Buffalo is, and they they got to that position basically with with a player who, with all the story you just told there, has obviously not been going through an easy situation with the Winnipeg Jets and Evander Kane, a guy who obviously made it known through his actions and through his attitude that he didn't want to be there anymore for whatever reason. Maybe he wanted a bigger role. Well, now he gets that because he's going to go to Buffalo where they need a guy like that. And we can get into that in a moment on how this could play out for Buffalo, but for Winnipeg, definitely – you start to it at the moment you look start to look at this and say potentially they stole this because they get rid of a guy who wasn't giving them anything that they're shutting down anyway for the season and you get a couple of pretty good players and then some potential you know you get a first round pick we don't know where it's going to be yet but then you know a prospect and you get the the other players who aren't all stars they're not Kane's potential but they're you're the other players that you've 
known in the NHL and you're, they're known commodities at this point and they're players who can be pretty good on a team that's trying to make a run and trying to get from the middle of the pack to a little bit more. You definitely take a look at this, Brendan, and you see that obviously when you take a look at a 5-2 to two player deal, you should be getting a very big upside if you're the guy, the team that's getting the two-player, especially if you're giving up picks and prospects. Evander Kane with a shoulder surgery and not playing this year is not going to help them now, but like Matt was talking about, this kid has scored 20-plus goals in a season. I mean, he could be a very good player on this Buffalo Sabres team. Do you think that maybe we're not giving the Sabres enough credit for this deal? You know, I don't think we are because you look at this and it's like he's been having well, the past couple of weeks he's been having issues in the in the locker room, but how long has it, ha, has he been unhappy there? And if he's been unhappy there for the past couple of years, he's scoring 20 plus, plus goals being unhappy. So how <laughs> So he's still doing pretty well for himself. So how how good can he be when he's <clears throat> in a, in a locker room he likes in an environment he likes? When he's like when he's uh, getting along with his teammates, how good can he be? And that's another way to look at this. I mean, I personally hate when players say that they're not happy where they are because no matter which way you look at it, a lot of the players that say they're unhappy, they're guys that are making two plus million dollars on contracts, and just say I'm unhappy. And I get it. You want to win, and you want to be a winning team. Well, you know what? The Jets this year are in a much better position than the Sabers. And sure, maybe the Sabers have a brighter future, but the wild card spot that the Jets are in right now, they could be making some noise. That offense is pretty good. Little Aladdin Wheeler were carrying that team this year, not Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. And I think actually what Stafford does is actually gives them another scoring threat yeah. around more talent. Because in Buffalo, right now the talent's not there. And they knew the talent wasn't going to be there. And maybe it is a tank for McDavid year. Because take a look at it this way, guys. <laughs> Evander Kane, Zach Bogosian, who's 24 years old, he's proven he is a very good defenseman already. And 24 years old. And 24 <laughs> years old. Tyler Myers is 25. He was their first-round pick. I think he was 12th overall a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. He's got a minus 15 this year. Right, and also that's, you know, where he's playing. But yeah. I mean, that doesn't help. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, when you bring in a guy like Zach Bogosian, Zach Bogosian was a third overall pick when he was drafted in 08, so obviously he's a guy who came in with a lot of hype, and he's you know hasn't tanked at all. He's a, he's a solid NHL player that you're bringing over, so it's almost like because you, you focus on the Evander Kane part of this, the deal that, you know, the, that part of the deal that you bring him in, and obviously that's the major part of it, but... If they were to bring in Zach Bogosian in a different deal, you would look at that and say, oh, that's a good pickup. Absolutely. Obviously a team building for the future. This is a great piece for them. Because that's the thing with this team, because the Jets slash Atlanta Thrashers have been rebuilding for about four or five years now. And basically at this point, their their farm system is pretty much wiped out because anybody who was good is now on that Jets team, and they've built through that. Ladd and Wheeler and Little. All these guys were from Winnipeg and Atlanta. But... When you look at the Sabres, now all those little Ladd and Wheeler players that the Jets had, now they're down in Buffalo. So what do the Jets have to do? The Jets had to try and rebuild their farm system. The Sabres had so many picks, they had to get rid of some of them in order to just be serviceable in the NHL for the time being. So, you know, maybe right now it looks like a kind of one-sided deal. But in the long run, this could probably benefit both teams. I still think the Jets get off a little bit better, and that's kind of what concerns me a little bit about it. But if the Sabres really liked Evander Kane and he puts up 25 goals, I don't really think well, they can the complain. Yeah, that's what they're putting their faith in a guy that they think can turn things around whenever he gets back to the ice, whether that's you know going to be this year. But now we're hearing he's going to be shut down with his shoulder surgery. So if it's next year, when he gets back to the ice, they're counting on this guy to come back and be the player everybody thought he would be when he first came up with Winnipeg. And you know what? If it doesn't work out that way, we're really going to look back and say this is one-sided. But if, if he turns out 
play the way that everybody thinks he's capable of doing it, this this is as um, pretty close to even. I would go as close to say if you're gonna pull a trade for a big player like that, you got to give something up. And if he comes out to be the player we think it could be, there's no reason Buffalo can't come away as the winners of this trade. Yeah, I think this this is definitely gonna be one of those trades you look at and say we're not gonna be able to determine who wins this trade for another year or two because again. Uh, the Jets get three prospects in this deal. Deal well with the with the draft pick, they get three prospects, and you gotta see how these prospects turn out. Because if they're busts, then Buffalo wins the trade. No, I agree with that definitely. And you have to take a look at it. Nobody thought that kid named Ryan McDowna was gonna <laughs> be very good coming from Montreal for Scott Gomez, and that was pretty much one of the best trades the Rangers ever made in their history. So it worked out all right. Brendan Lemieux, who knows? That could be this. This kid could be one of the next, uh, the next big scorers in this league, and we don't even know it. So it would be interesting to see how that pans out. And what also has been interesting to see how everything pans out. It's interesting. Brendan came to me today. And I was like, "All right, we're going to talk about Anderson and Mason's recent injuries." And Brendan goes, "Yeah, from Ottawa." And I go, "No, from Anaheim." <laughs> and then I take a look at it, and he's hurt too. Craig Anderson, Frederick Anderson, Steve Mason, Henrik Lundqvist. You name it. Somebody on a, on a big name on a team that could possibly make the playoffs is injured. The Anaheim Ducks need Frederick Anderson. He's out with an upper body injury. Could be related to the hit that he took on Sunday against Tampa Bay. He got hit in the head. Could have something to do with a concussion, maybe a little bit of a neck injury. Probably not as bad as Lumquist's neck injury, but an injury nonetheless that he needs to at least be on seven-day IR. And then you take a look, and you see Steve Mason's injured two to three weeks with a lower body injury. I don't know if you guys saw this. Nothing happened. <laughs> he was skating during a TV timeout. He yeah. went up to the boards, and then he just kind of doubled over. And and went back and it looked like maybe his ankle rolled, or or maybe he you know maybe he just like sat funny and then his groin kind of strained a little bit. But two to three weeks for Mason, the Flyers weren't really going anywhere. The Ducks they have something. These goalie injuries we talk about these trades and this is kind of what this whole show is going to be about at this point. It's going to be trades. Trade deadlines coming up. And when you take a look at these teams, you think okay we're going to need to get somebody with good goalie depth to get us a goalie. Devin Dubnik went to the Wild. And that's turned out pretty well for them. The Wild are working their way back into a wild card spot. Yeah. But with all these recent injuries to starting goaltenders, nobody with goalie depth can give up a goalie now because all of their backups are playing as starters. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about some of these goalie injuries, and for Ottawa and Philly, they could really be season enders. Ottawa is already really barely treading water at this point with 51 points. Philadelphia went on a tiny bit of a run at a point to get to 55 points, but really you don't see them realistically being a team that could make a run even if they got to the playoffs, to be a top contender team. So losing those guys for them, I think, is more devastating for the teams that are outside the picture because it's just one more obstacle over the many that they already have to leap over, including numerous teams that are over them in the standings. But then it also it's a different kind of challenge for those teams You know, when Frederick Anderson goes down. For an Anaheim team that really you're not worried about them making the playoffs, they're leading the Pacific Division, you're not worried about that team missing the playoffs. But... We saw what happened to them last year when they had three possible guys to go to in the playoffs in terms of goaltenders. You know, Anderson and Gibson, and then Hiller was still there. You kind of saw that, and you weren't sure. You know, they, they had nobody to go to. And now if you lose that guy, Hiller's already gone. Now it's a completely different problem. And obviously, it doesn't matter if you're in the playoffs right now or you're out of it. It's a problem either way. And I think the problem also with that is not even just the fact that it's one goalie. The problem with that is, yeah, if you get a defenseman hurt or a forward hurt, there's a lot of guys that you could put in that are really NHL ready. I think it's even harder for a goalie to be 
NHL ready. Take a look at the Rangers. I'm sure we're going to talk about it later. But Skapsky, Mackenzie Skapsky has been sitting on the bench, and he will most likely sit on the bench for the next three weeks. Because Cam Talbot, whether he likes it or not, is going to play the next 10, 15 games with Lumquist out. Not because they don't trust Skapsky, but because they don't want to ruin his confidence because he's just not ready. He had a 2.2 goals against average in the AHL. That's really good, but the AHL talent is not the NHL talent. And I think that's where the biggest problem lies for these teams, especially for a team like the Ducks, who have the Flames breathing down their neck and second in the Pacific, which I find fantastic. (laughs) Every time I hear that, it makes me happy. But guys, we have to look at it this way. Obviously, with Mason, this probably ends the Flyer season. Anderson on Ottawa probably puts a little damper on their season. We saw what Rene and Howard being out did to the Predators and Wings, and it was essentially nothing because their goal, their backups stepped up. Can the Ducks backups pick up the slack and keep them atop the West? I mean, a backup goalie in hockey has to be one of the the toughest jobs in sports because you have to come in. After sitting on the bench for like games, maybe a couple of weeks at a time, play and you're expected to win. And now these goalies are expected to come in and start every day, or not every day, but like start every game for like a couple of weeks at a time when they're used to starting like every fifth game or every sixth game. So that's one of the toughest things, right there, is getting into the mindset of a starting goalie after you've been the backup goalie for the entire year, and that's the. Uh, I think that's going to be tough for a lot of these goalies because most of the backups are younger. Uh, Again, they're not used to playing every day, playing in the NHL every day. And I think that's going to be uh, difficult. And it's uh, really going to have to step up their level if they want their team to succeed in the next few weeks. Well, that's, I mean, that's the reason why it's such an important part, you know, such an important position. And go back to the Rangers, Cam Talbot, there's a reason he's going to play every game until Henrik can come back hopefully that's sooner than later for you know the Rangers but there's a reason Talbot's gonna do it because this is exactly what he's here for there's a these guys expect to play it, it's when a backup goalie doesn't perform there was always talk of oh can we get somebody else to be the backup goalie because it doesn't matter that you know he's gonna play bad for a nighter here or there that's not what people want teams to get another backup goalie for it's for these situations it's for the situation down the stretch where you're a contender or you're a team trying to make a run and your main guy isn't there. This is exactly what it's for. And the Rangers are a fortunate team in that they didn't have to go shopping immediately after Henrik goes down because Cam Talbot showed it last year in the beginning of the season when, you know, not seriously, but they were kind of some doubts like, oh my God, is he going to play as much as Hank now? And that didn't happen. But he, at least as ridiculous as those conversations were, he warranted them a little bit based on his play. And, you know, the Rangers, at least, they're a team that they can rely on that. The Ducks, we don't know yet because John Gibson is a guy that you thought maybe he was going to be up with the team the entire year after Hiller leaves, and they have to recall him from the minors, where he had been playing well, but it's a different level, like you said, and Briz is just Briz. You have no <laughs> idea what you're going to get, and more often than not, lately, it's not that good. So the Ducks, they should be a little bit worried because Frederick Anderson had been the guy that, after this is no longer Jonas Hiller's team, it kind of became Frederick Anderson's team, and you know, you look at the two options now. Gibson is a guy you still don't know. He's so young. In the long run, yeah, he could still be a good guy for you. But he's still an unproven guy. And Briz is scaring you a different reason that maybe you do know what he is now and you don't love it. Or that it's just that Briz just scares you, period. But <laughs> That's a, always true. But a 5-2 loss to the Florida Panthers, who are granted a team that is on the cusp of a playoff berth, 
The Anaheim team. Ducks are one of the best teams in the league. They lost 5-2 to the Panthers. I know everybody has their bad games. That should be a little concerning. Panthers are a tough team that don't run you out of the building scoring goals. That's what's concerning is the score. If it was a 2-1 loss, you wouldn't be as worried about that. They give up five goals against a team that doesn't score very yeah. much. And a team that doesn't score very much is the New Jersey Devils. Brendan Bowers knows this. And actually, a lot of us know this because of the way that we've seen the Devils play lately. But uh, scoring troubles, still a mess. 27th in goals per game with 2.2 goals. 6-3-1 in their last 10 What's concerning about that? One of those three were to the Edmonton Oilers. And I don't even know if you can say that one game will completely dead your season. And even, let's say, if the Devils go on a run, I don't even know if it's mathematically possible that they could make a playoff berth. I believe it's still possible. They're not actually eliminated. <laughs> but I think when you lose to the Edmonton Oilers, you're officially eliminated yeah. from playoff contention. And, and Brendan, that's it for me. I think the Devils are done. <laughs> uh, I mean... They're still hope in New Jersey, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I think the hope is starting to go down each game. Uh, they're actually they're starting to play well in uh, since the beginning of this new year. They're starting to play well. They're uh, they've actually have a winning record in 2015. I think it's like eight, like six and two or something like that. And uh, they're starting to play better. Corey Schneider is seven two and one in his last eleven games. He has a one point seven three goals against average in those eleven games, which. Again, that goal against average should you should he should have won all those games except the Devils don't know how to score, which can be said with the fact that Mike Hamilary is leading the team in scoring, only has eighteen goals, missed twelve games. The <laughs> fact that he missed twelve games and he's still the leading scorer is a big concern. Laughable. And the fact that he doesn't even have tw- over twenty goals, which I think basically every team in the league their leading scorer has at least twenty goals, and the Devils don't. So I think that's the biggest. The biggest concern right now, and I think looking forward, if they ever want to, if they want to contend next year, the fact that I'm seeing next year, not this year, they need a scorer. They need somebody that can rely on to score a goal. That a goal, any a goal. goal. <laughs> I think I've been to five. Take any goal. I think I've been to like at least five games this year, and I've seen like three goals. <laughs> They've won a couple of those games too. They did. But you know it's interesting, and I think it's an interesting point that you bring up, Brendan, because we see that Yarmir Yager says if he's going to be playing in a reduced role in Jersey, which he is now, he would be willing to go to a playoff team and play a reduced role. And I guess that's fair. When you're over forty, you yeah. might, you kind of just want to go out in a blaze of glory. But Matt, Brendan, I got to ask you guys: Is Yager even worth anything on the market right now? That the Devils could get something back—a young scorer, a forward that can help them, maybe just add some depth to their lines, maybe even a defenseman, because their penalty kill is. 25th in the league. Well, I, I think the fact that he's already in a reduced role. Now, you on one side, you would say that because he's in a reduced role, you're not going to get as much for him. But I would say it's worth it to, to maybe look to, to flip him somewhere because if you already have him in the reduced role, what do you hang? You can't even make the argument that, well, he's our best player, even though he's, you know, 48 million years old. And even though he's <laughs> been in the league since it started, you know, it's. <laughs> He's still, he's still the reason people come, and he's still where we get all our offense. If he's still in a, if he's in a reduced role now, that's not the case. So, you know, what other reason are you hanging on to this guy for? He's obviously not the future, and the present, to be fair to him, is not there in New Jersey. So I, I would say because he's in a reduced role, even though you get a little bit less back, it's worth more because you're really not saving him for that much at this point anyway. If he's not the, the main focus every single game for your team, there's no really sentimental reason to, to keep him. 
So I and he's not a guy who's been there his entire career, obviously. Oh, trust me, there's nothing sentimental <laughs> yeah. about Yarmir Yager he's, when it comes to teams. Exactly. So you know, he if he says he's willing to go somewhere, he and listen, he's not trying to lowball New Jersey. He's he's said you know he likes it there. He didn't want to came back another year to to play there, even though you kind of this is kind of the way we expected the Devils season to go. So I would say that you know you get something little back, and you know we mentioned it before, you never know what guys can turn into, but because he's not. Because of who he is, you're right. There's no nothing sentimental about Yarmir Yager, and because he's already playing the reduced role, what's it going to hurt to flip him for a chance at something? I think a third a third line player is all you're going to get for him. I mean, you look at this and like, when are the Devils going to be contenders again? Next, it's kind of scary. A few years probably. It's probably going to take a few years the Not way they, they look there. now. That they need the scores. Well, exactly. there's, there's been plenty of guys up in Albany with all these injuries, and they haven't really been panning out very well yet. It's going to be the most likely. The next time they're contenders is going to be when Yager's not on the team. So why not trade him? On his 12th team. He'll be on his, like, 13th or 14th team. <laughs> trade him, like, now. Like, he wants to be on the contender. So trade him to a contender. Get a young prospect or a young uh, a young up-and-coming player in return. And hopefully that young prospect or up-and-coming player can help your uh, help the Devils, like, next year or in two years. Does help them help them become a better team. The Islanders know all about up-and-coming players. And that's really been the cornerstone of why they've been so successful this year. Although, they haven't been as successful lately. Two-game win streak, 5-5-5 five, five, and five in their last 10, which you could say that's average, but you know what? Average is not what the Islanders have been this year. And a 3-2 defeat of the Oilers, Matt, you were there. That was probably very scary. Um, It was, yeah. If you're watching it as an Islanders fan, you're sitting there going, oh, I bought this ticket thinking this was going to be an easy <laughs> win. But, you know, they pulled it out in the end, but you could even tell in the locker room, you know, it, it's a game where, you know, Jack Capuano came in and said, listen, we didn't win this game. You know, it just it was one of those games where the bounces went that way. And he wasn't trying to say anything bad about Edmonton, but you could kind of read between the lines. This is a team this year in, in the Islanders that is supposed to go out and beat a team like the Oilers now. It wasn't always that way, but the way this season has gone, you said it, five, you know, five wins in the last ten games is not the way that you, you want things to go, and, and, a, and a loss to the Oilers is certainly not the way you want things to go, but, you know, the fourth line was the only positive out of that game. It, there's been praises about those guys. Colin McDonald's got two goals in his last two games coming back, not that he's going to be On a hot savior. Streak. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it, and Casey Zizekas plays well, and we've heard all season long about how good this fourth line is. You know, it was Martin and Zizekas and Clutterbuck, and now Clutterbuck's out and McDonald steps right in. And it's a positive to see your fourth line play so solid and be the, have them be the reason that you come out with a couple of wins when you're not playing your best. But there's also that small part that knows, okay, your fourth line shouldn't be your best line. The other guys should be contributing. You know, Brock Nelson's been in a slump since starting off so hot. and He kind of fell off the map. Yeah, he really has. He hasn't scored in a long time. One goal in, I think, his last 22 games, I think it is now, after not scoring last night. Good so. news is those line mates are really helping him out. Yeah, absolutely. You're getting depth. That's what's different about this team this year. But there's always going to be little concerns. Now that we're kind of used to seeing this team win throughout this season, you want to th- see a couple of things shore up. You know, the first line, you still don't have a, a set group to go with John Tavares up there. Bailey's been there, but he's been slumping. So as nice as it is to see the fourth line come out a win, pull out a win against an Oiler team that you should have beat pretty handily, you also got to look at it and say, okay, when is the when are the top players on this team going to start to turn things around a bit? One thing that points to me that's a problem, Matt, is even against an Oilers team who we're all saying it, tank for McDavid, all this nonsense. The Oilers are not a very good hockey team. Even that team can score against the Islanders on the power play. Yeah, that's a problem. 
That's a very big problem for this team right now. It's it's something that comes up every single game is the penalty kill, and you always you, know, you look at it and say, well, you know, what can you change about it? And you right now you'll change anything really because the way the way it's been all season long is really what's held this team back from being, you know, when looking at them and saying that's a Stanley Cup contender. If there's going to be the top thing that's going to hold them back at this point, that's got to be it. You know, you you can't go down a man and then. Obviously, you're going to be in a hole, but you can't go out there and, and really look at that and say every time, okay, well, here comes a goal. And they happen pretty quickly, especially as of late. You know, you give up give up penalty, and teams are capitalizing on it pretty quickly. And it's got to give the other teams somewhat of confidence saying, okay, if we can get to the power play, we're going to score some goals on these guys. I think I think another thing to notice uh, with the Islanders is I'm looking at now, they only have one overtime loss this entire year. That's They lead the league in, in that category. The fact that they've... I mean, I'm not sure how many times they've gone overtime. They say like seven. Well, those those one goal games have really been something that you know can cancel out the the, the the struggles they've had. They're not dropping a great deal of points. That's that's what's the biggest thing, and you, you relate that to last night. You know, they don't even have to go to overtime because they find a way to get it done. And you know, well, listen, I well, something I guess we're all going to talk about the Rangers. You know, when we talk about these problems, they're kind of first world problems when we yeah. talk about them because. Listen, they're teams, and we'll get to the Rangers in a minute, that these are two teams that are in good positions right now. These are two teams that you're going to think are going to make the playoffs and they are going to make pretty good runs. At this point, we're nitpicking a little bit. But that is also the difference between a Stanley Cup contender and a team that makes it to the second round of the playoffs. You know, how big is that little flaw, that one flaw? And for the Islanders, that penalty kill, as good as the one-goal game record has been, the best in the NHL with that, that penalty kill is definitely something, although it, I can say it's a first-world problem, it is a problem no matter what world you're in that they certainly want to fix. Certainly a problem, and something that's interesting for the Rangers that hasn't been a problem lately is their power play. They're actually 10th in the league on the power play with 19.6%, which is great. And they're 15 goals per game, which is great. And Rick Nash is tied for the league-leading goals, which is great. <laughs> and the goaltending's been great, which is great. But Lundqvist is hurt. So yeah. everybody have a mass panic and they go into a major catastrophe, heart attack. Oh wait, they're two one and one in their last four games yeah. without him. That's not so bad. All right, so the, the sky hasn't fallen like we talked about last week on five on three when we thought that Lumquist was going to be out for somewhat uh, even a short period of time. People were having yeah. heart attacks. I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter back in 2011 when the Rangers were good for probably the first time in a very very long time. Everyone came out with what used to be the the terror threat: code red, code blue. The code red was Henrik Lundqvist is out for an extended period of time. <laughs> this is worse than Chernobyl. The apocalypse has occurred. <laughs> well, you know what? In hindsight, I said last week that I thought the Cam Talbot would be serviceable. There was an article up on WFUV Sports talking about how I thought Talbot would be okay for multiple reasons. I only said there would be three games that would really be a big problem for the Rangers. The Predators game, which they lost. The game against the Islanders that they're going to be playing. Mm-hmm. And the game against the Canucks. All the other games are winnable. The Stars game was winnable. It wasn't Talbot's fault. Yeah. The Rangers played awful in front of them. And you can't play awful. They, they defeated the Leafs last night 5-4. This Leafs team can't score and lost, has only won two games in their last 17, now 18. And the Rangers almost lost to them. And it wasn't because of Talbot. Yeah, he gives up a couple of goals in high-quality areas. But it's not Talbot's fault. This defense is not playing well. And it's not John Moore or Matt Hunwick. Ryan McDonough and Dan Girardi have been struggling. That's what's most concerning to me about this team. If the Rangers are going to be losing games with Lumquist out of the net, make it be Talbot's fault. Don't make it be your yeah. fault. Well, but also, do you look at it in that your top guys are the ones that are faltering? And you can, you can relate this to both New York teams that are playing well right now. You know, when your top guys are faltering... You know they'll come back. 
do you at least have some solace in that? That, okay, when they come back, it's not if. You kind of just assume when. Now, obviously, if the when doesn't come or it takes too long That's to when come, you have to. then you're putting yourself in a hole maybe you can't get out of. But at least, you know, for the range of, if it's McDonough, I'm not too worried about <laughs> not too worried, it. You know, exactly. If it's McDonough, I'm all right with that because the track record, at least, for me, I would look at that and say, like, okay, he's going to turn it around, no problem. Now, I think, Brennan, what's interesting about this team is, of course, we talk about Talbot. 2-1-1 one, one beat the Bruins and beat the Leafs and took them to overtime against the Stars. Not bad. Not bad to start. And he seems like he's been okay. He doesn't seem like he's tired. Doesn't look like the Rangers are going to play Skapsky all that much. But you have to bring up this question. And, of course, we're talking about trades. We've been talking about trades. With the Islanders, we didn't really bring it up. Because, yeah, you might be able to fix the defense, but this team has done so well, even with a bad penalty kill, it's really hard to say who can you pinpoint and trade away because everybody seems to be integral to that team. The, the Rangers have two problems. Face-off issues, the fact that there are star goaltenders out for a very long period of time, and if you want to throw in the fact that Matt Hunwick and John Moore, AV basically flips a coin before every game and puts them in, sixth defenseman. Which, what do you think is the biggest problem for this team? In my opinion, it's the face-off issue. I mean, uh, I think you look at it, and it's like, I think you have. I think the big key is how much confidence you have in Talbot. How much confidence do you have in him to play for an extended period of time? You don't know how long yet. Most likely, a few weeks. But how much conf- confidence do you have have in him to keep? Like right now, they're third in the Metropolitan. How much confidence do you have in him to keep you at that position? Maybe even move up one until uh, Henrik comes back. And I think, uh, I think, like you said, the uh, faceoffs is a big. Face offs is one of the biggest things in hockey because it gives you it gives you possession. Instead of losing it, going on defense, you win the puck, go on offense, have a chance to score. And the more face offs you win, the more chances you get to score, which I think that's the big key is winning the face offs throughout the game, giving you the possession throughout the game, giving you more opportunities to score and less op- less chances for the opponent to score on you. I definitely think that's the case. And you, and you saw it last night. The Leafs want to face off in the offensive zone on a power play. It took them seven seconds to score. Because all they did was move around in the position where one of the players wasn't, because he was on the bench. And there you go. You have, you have your, but if you get a guy who can win face-offs, like an Antoine Vermette, or even a Mike Santorelli that they were talking about from the Leafs, this team could actually significantly be better. There is not a category that the Rangers have right now that is under 20, except face-offs. And in the beginning of the year, you thought power play automatically. Mm-hmm. Like it's been for the past 10, 15 years. 1994. As long as I've been born, <laughs> the Rangers power play hasn't been good since Zuboff and Leach were running the points. Yeah. And then you're talking about, there's a rumor going around, guys. You may not know this, but there's rumors Sorry, circulating that it could be a trade of a Rangers defensive prospect, John Moore, for Oliver ekman Larson and Antoine Vermette. And the only other person that you'd have to throw into that trade is JT Miller. Hulaine Vigneault... Doesn't really like to play when everybody's healthy. He doesn't like him. He doesn't like him very much at all. You take a look at that trade. Oliver ekman Larson. First of all, I don't know how the Rangers would do this with a $5.5 million cap on him. Right. Vermette with a, I think it's somewhere in the two millions. And the Rangers only have about a million dollars worth of cap space and are only dropping yeah. two. I don't know if they'd be able to pull this trade off, but if they could, I would do it, obviously. I don't even think they need ekman Larson because I think that John Moore and Matt Hunwick, even though it's not a solidified, okay, who's going to come in every night, both of them do pretty good. Yeah, but, I mean, again, this is where <laughs> make the joke first about world the first problems. world problems. I think this is even more so than, like, listen, obviously, the Islanders penalty kill, that can become a huge deal in the playoffs. But when you're narrowing problems down, it's nice to narrow it down to only one or two things. And for the Rangers, I think that's even more evident because – Listen, everybody would love another sixth defenseman. <laughs> everybody would love to be able to say, like, yeah, this is our sixth guy that we're going to put out and have full confidence in. I think a lot of teams are in the same situation where 
you're kind of bringing guys in. They're going to have a healthy scratch here and there because you don't really have confidence, supreme confidence, in any one guy in that sixth spot. But I agree with you that the face-off, the face-off issue is one that could only help. You know, yeah. that could really turn things around because you could have a guy out there at the end of a game in a playoff game that, although he's not a guy you're looking to to score, he's going to set up the other guys because. You know, he's going to be out there in the crucial moments against the best face-off guys in the league. And even though the rest of his game isn't what you're bringing him in for, that one aspect of the game, that one second, that one restart, it's so important that, yeah, I mean, if it's a quality enough guy to, to, to hold his own throughout the rest of his minutes on the ice, obviously that's something I'd bring in. Look, six defensemen, you'd love it, but I think if you have to narrow down one thing for the Rangers, you kind of, I think that's a general thing for any team. If it's that's the... The problems you're going to have, I think, face-off things is not even that they need to more address. I think it's just something that would help them even more in the long run. And I look at the uh, Islanders and Rangers in this aspect, and they both, at this point, they're probably both going to make the playoffs. And sounds if, about right. Yeah. And I if, think that. if either of them can make a trade that can benefit them without losing a big key, and like you're currently, it's first world problems. If they can fix one of these without creating another one. All the better because the teams that the teams that are going to win the Stanley Cup or go to the Stanley Cup are the teams that have the fewest problems. And if either of these teams can like fix the face-off issue for the yeah. Rangers, if they can fix that issue, have one less problem to worry about, they're in better shape for the, uh, to make it to the Stanley Cup, make a deep run into into the playoffs. Face-off issues for the Rangers, penalty issues for the Islanders, scoring issues for the Devils. Very wide range of topics here, but I think we covered them all. And with only about a month left before the trade deadline, if this is what we have in store for us within the next three weeks with the Jets trade with Evander Kane, we're certainly in for a treat. I'd like to thank Brendan Bowers and Matt Morrow for joining me today on 5 on 3. And for all of you out there listening, I'm Anthony Pusick. Have a good night, everybody.